The red line is the Arctic in the summer. The, the, the blue line is the Arctic in the winter. That is perfectly explains that it's water vapor. It, ha it can't be CO2. It has to be water vapor that's causing, and look where the warming's taking place. It's in the Arctic winter where it's brutally cold, right? So I tell people all the time, yeah, instead of freezing to death in 10 seconds, you'll freeze to death in 12 seconds now. Basically, that's, a, that's the difference. My guest today is Joe Bastardi. I'm a chief meteorologist at weatherbell.com, uh, along with Joe DeLeo. We're the two uh, probably old, the oldest, uh, I should say, excuse me, most experienced uh, forecasters out there now in the private sector forecasting globally. And uh, I'm 68. Joe's <clears throat> a little bit older than me. And um, uh, part of the reason for my skepticism on the cause of uh, cause of uh, the warming, which, by the way, I think is uh, very beneficial. It is actually making it easier to forecast, in my opinion, not harder. Um, uh, I think that uh, the whole idea is that uh, if we know what is actually driving the weather, and you work in the weather every day, you can very easily see how this is not man-made climate change that you see going on. And when I'm talking about working in the weather every day, I don't mean being on TV and a member of the AMS and simply having to make sure that you uh, do what you're told. Talking about globally forecasting, having to come up with forecasts six, nine, um, uh, 12 months away, to uh, to give people an advantage. Uh, for instance, this winter, we were already laying out this winter from last March. At the end of last winter, some things became apparent. And part of that is because of the hypothesis that I'm going to explain over here right in front of you because of the buildup of heat in the oceans, which in turn leads to the buildup of heat in the atmosphere. Uh, where there's more energy available in the atmosphere, the signaling mechanisms are stronger. The weather events aren't necessarily stronger. They wash out. Some are stronger, some are weaker. Uh, but the signaling events, if you, if you are looking at the weather, not the models, uh, can, actually, uh, can actually help uh, give you an advantage. And, you know, I'm a, I'm, I believe that, uh, you know, after 68 years on this planet, God made me to forecast the weather. And I'm in, involved in this uh, whole climate situation because it's across and perhaps the crown of my calling. And it, it actually, I always explain this to me, the weather and climate get me closer to God. And uh, after all these years, that's what I've realized. And uh, I think it, that a lot of the stance that is you see on the other side is arrogance and ignorance. Uh, the idea that, oh, I have the answer to tomorrow. No man knows tomorrow. You might believe something about tomorrow, but believing something and having absolute knowledge of it means that you're actually trying to uh, pretend you're God, all right? Now, for those of you who don't believe in God, hey, that's fine. I, I never try to get uh, people uh, riled up about that except to say, why make someone else your God? Because if you're going to put your faith in a man or a model for tomorrow— uh, you know, blind faith like that, you're basically worshiping that. So uh, it's, a, it's, it's a fascinating situation we're in because I believe a lot of the stuff we see, Tom, I don't care if it's climate, COVID, whatever you want to talk about, a lot of the stuff you see is a battle between if truth is a trait of God, what is non-truth, hiding the truth, distorting the truth, 
what would that be a trait of if there is a spiritual combat going on? So when I look at things in those eyes, for me, it keeps me sane because I understand what might be going on in the background. People say, well, you're a conspiracy theorist. I don't think there's people that are purposely conspiring to do this, but I do think there are influences out there that uh, uh, would be designed to limit what man can do in his reach for the heavens. Uh, reach for, you know, like Browning said, a man's reach must exceed his grasp or what's a heaven for? And you see people, a whole group of people, who seem to think that the idea is, well, we have to control the ability of men to, uh, uh, as individuals, to elevate themselves because that becomes very dangerous uh, to the overall social good. And when you do that, you are placing, literally you're placing man and government and in, in dismissing uh, the good Lord above. So there's a, bu a bunch of interesting things. This has evolved evolved uh, in over my journey here and, uh, you know, the rest of the way in, hopefully some of it makes sense. But we have this PowerPoint here and uh, I wanted to show, I, I, I've been trying to show folks this for quite some time. I mean, I, I'm blessed and I get to write on CFACT and they let me put on whatever I want. Uh, and, uh, you know, I have a podcast called The American Storm and, uh, you know, I discuss a lot of those things uh, on there. But I want you, I, I want folks here to watch what I'm doing, all right? And watch this linkage in moving. It's like if it, it, you know, in wrestling, I used to wrestle, we have something called chain wrestling where you naturally react to something with the correct move without having to think think about it. So I, what I what this is all set up to me, there's seven, eight things in a row that go off here that I don't know how you deny that they're a factor, and a major factor, and perhaps the factor. First thing here is the rise of CO2 since the 1950s, which is essentially the start of the fossil fuel age. And you can see it's been, uh, you know, a steady, you know, up, you know, up, down, rise, up, down, rise. And the reason it goes down in this in the um, in the uh, summertime is because there's more foliage on trees in the northern hemisphere and. Uh, that that should be a hint that just hey just plant more trees right there uh, to to counterbalance whatever man's putting into the atmosphere, which is a, a very very tiny amount compared to what water vapor does. But there uh, here here's the here's the CO two. If CO two is doing this, should have done this done more earlier. Now why is that? Because if we look at La Chatière's principle. It states that if a dynamic equilibrium is disturbed by changing the conditions, the position of the equilibrium shifts to counteract the change to reestablish it. So here we start introduce we we've steady state on CO2 through 1930. We introduce CO2 to the whole equation, right? Nothing happens. Nothing, nothing really starts happening till 1990. And we're going to we're going to show the evidence of that. If we so, I want you to remember that I happen to be paying attention in chemistry class that one particular day. It's like it's like you know. Think about anything that happens. Is suppose you get a virus. The first day it comes on, hits you, and then your body reacts, levels it off, and fights back. Right. Well, the atmosphere and nature has a common linkage. They're not just oh well, this is like this, this is like that. There is something in the design of nature 
that is a link that goes right through. So if we move to the next one here, um, these are the sea surface temperatures, 1951 to 1960s. It had a heck of a lot of blue. This is against the last 30 years, right? See all the blue? All right. So we move to, we move to uh, uh, 30 years later, all right? Now, CO2 has been increasing constantly, all right? There's no changes. Now, here for you folks who are trolling Tom and want to blast what I say, I want to ask you a question. Do you think for one second, if the oceans were as cool as they were back in the 1980s, that we would have warmed up the way we would? I mean, just go to the beach, for instance, on a hot day and watch what happens when a sea breeze comes in. So the oceans, well, while the sun is the grand conductor of all this, the, the, long, the long scale cycles of the sun, in decadal senses, decadal to maybe centuries, uh, one century, the oceans are huge. They have 99% of the energy in the entire system. The atmosphere goes nowhere without the oceans. So essentially, while CO2 is rising, 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 introduced to the system, the system's saying, no big deal. What do I care, right? So let's move on. So the air temperatures, 1951 to 1960. Look at how cold it is in the Arctic and Antarctic. Now, this is going to be interesting because the relationship between water vapor and temperature it means that small, very tiny amounts of increased water vapor warm it most where it's cold and dry. That is a huge key to what's causing all this because from 51 to 60 to 81 through 90, if we move to the next one, there's, there's no virtually no change. I mean, if there is some change, you can argue, okay, maybe that was CO2. But look at the Arctic regions and the Antarctic regions. They're very, very cold. Now, if we move to the next graphic, if we move to the next graphic, it's when the geothermal increase started. And God bless Dr. Arthur Vidorito. If you, uh, Tom, have you ever had him on? I have, have a couple times, yeah. Oh, boy. I, 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 he has become, he has be, he, you know, because what happened was I developed that. I started developing. I said, wait, the ocean can't warm this fast. Or, it, you know, what I was watching was hot spots going off and then they, they disappear, but they leave the ocean a little bit warmer. Right. And then the super ninos would occur. And I said, wait, wait a minute, this is not because of CO2. And sure enough, Dr. Vitorito supplied the information with, uh, with Jim, uh, was big on it. What really set me off was the 15, 16 El Nino really got me to say, okay, that's the canary in the coal mine that exposes what this is all about, right? That it it's directly linked to the increase in water vapor due to the warming oceans. And you cannot tell me the atmosphere is warming the ocean. That the you know, oh well, it gets a little bit warmer and the oceans can't cool as fast. The difference in energy is so so much greater. That's not the case. The oceans push around the atmosphere. But what happens? And this is beautiful. This is beautiful. And even though I have a, a disagreement with some of my uh, friends on my side of the issue, here is my argument to them: the introduction of the increase in geothermal activity. All right began and then the ocean responded. Do you understand that's very, very important as it's not only correlation, it's causation, right? Because we know that the oceans with the immense amount of energy lag input. 
right? So what happens is you see the, uh, the input, the increase in geothermal. So you have this dynamic equilibrium in the ocean from 19, the 1930s and 40s through 1990. Then a new, a new feature is introduced. So what happens? There's a reaction. Now, the La Chatearian principle says that every time there's too much of a buildup of heat, something has to happen. Boom, you get the super ninos that go off, right? So, and they, they pump tremendous amounts of water vapor in the air. Let's go to the next graphic, all right? Uh, this, this correlation is amazing, all right? As you can see, the goodness of the fit is excellent and expressed numerically. The correlation is between, between the mid-ocean seismic activity and heat content is 0.89. Coefficient of determination is, in other words, the correlation squared is 0.794. What this means is that the mid-ocean seismic activity, our proxy for geothermal heat release, is explaining 79.4% of the variation in the ocean heat contest. That is remarkably high, and according to the regression model, the odds that it's this high of a correlation occurring by chance is, and you can, I mean, you know, uh, you, you, you can't, here's what I don't understand, and I've been hit a couple of times on this. I, I must be getting over the tar target. I saw political hit me, and USA Today hit me, uh, and, uh, and, and with good reason, because if I'm right, if this is right, it's all over. All right, I mean, it, this just blows everything right out of the water. Uh, even though, by the way, I think the warming's beneficial, more CO2 is beneficial with CO2 coalition. I love what their uh, their message is all the time. Uh, but in any case, I don't, I don't know how I, that that's correlation. But what the the big thing is the causation is when we see it go off before, and then there's a reaction. Then you know there's causation involved. So uh, if we move to the next. Uh, the air warms more in the Arctic due to uh, winter temperatures and water vapor correlation. I'm going to show this in a moment. And so you see what's happened since that increase in geothermal. The Arctic has flipped completely. It's all my, and so uh, that gets factored into the global warming, right? So if you have approximately one-third of the planet heating up like crazy, and when we're heating, you say, well, it goes from minus 30 to minus 38 uh, or something like that. That is factored in and distorts the temperature pattern. This, this has huge implications because when you pull the heating away from the equator toward the poles, it affects everything in the weather. It affects it because you have a distorted heating uh, pattern and the entire atmospheric circulation reacts to it. And thank God I am involved in the climate fight because it is it is led to the ability to see what's going on further in advance to give my clients, which are, you know, I actually, we actually have to uh, be right and get paid to actually um, survive over here. It's not like, oh, well, I got to, that's the knock, you know, I'm not going to knock the government academia. They do a lot of valuable work, but there's not the kind of pressure, you know, meteorology is a high pressure job if you're in the private sector over here. And with the weather service and the tax funded uh, National Weather Service getting better every day, which I welcome that kind of competition because it makes me better. Uh, you know, I, we have to make sure that we're out front. And what what are the great advantages is because of the the AMS and the National Weather Service being the way they are about global warming gives me a chance to just 
move in and fill the vacuum as far as what really is causing this because they just want to say it's CO2. They're forced to say it, right? Me, I'm like going, no, I don't, I don't, I don't play by those rules. I'm going to go look at what I actually know. So now <clears throat> let's move to the next uh, chart. Okay, this is very hard to see. But tiny amounts of water vapor warm it where it's coldest. For instance, at minus 40 Fahrenheit, the increase in one-tenth of one gram per kilogram of water vapor is correlated to a 10-degree rise in temperatures. So what happens when you have the oceans warming due to geothermal that, that, that and water vapor gets put up in the air? Where would you expect it? Where would you expect to see the most warming going on? Tom, go back to the screen before. Go back to the screen before if you can. Is that it? You like to see it where it's coldest and driest, right? So you see it in the Arctic and, of course, the Antarctic winter. Uh, the bulk of that is occurring during the winter season. This is the uh, the entire oh, – oh, this is January through December. And even the Antarctic, which is cold, uh, even in their summer, is warming a little bit. But the – the the uh, the entire year, the entire year, you see it warming more in the Arctic. And if I put put the winter up there, there'd be red pink palms in the Arctic. All right. So all that. Now think about. The, see, here's a here's the bad thing about the the global temperature. It's an average temperature, which it, well, all it means is that you know if we're one degree Fahrenheit warmer than we were a hundred years ago, means warm outduels cold by one degree. Over a period of hundred years, no human being can possibly detect that, and that's very easy to adapt to. What is not easy to adapt to is sudden cooling, which is what a there has to be a concern to that because the reason we may be seeing all this geothermal input is because the core of the Earth, if you look at the exosphere, has been reversing. Reversing, that puts undue stress on the bottom of the ocean, which may explain the geothermal venting over the last 30 years. Well, that's about to stop. There's a, there's a cycle... There's a cycle in the way, and this is above my pay grade, and it, it probably has to do with um, uh, the sun and the planet, planetary gravitational pulls. You know, now you get, you get Moncton on here sometime. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, I'll stick with the weather part in this first part. You you can explain, you know, this uh, the stuff that God needs to explain because uh, these guys are really, really smart with this. So you can see that correlation going on. So what you have to, what the, what the viewer and the, uh, has to understand is that tiny amounts of water vapor will make huge differences where it's coldest and driest. And you see them, the Arctic's warming faster than ever. It's not warming during the summertime because there's not enough water vapor yet to affect the summertime temperature. And when ice melts, it cools the atmosphere above it. When it freezes, it warms the atmosphere above it, all right? So free, the process of pr freezing releases heat into the atmosphere. The process of melting does the opposite. So there is a – and this is why – you know what? The, if we had an ejected media, they should crucify uh, in, the, in the press these people predicting the Arctic, uh, you know, to, the ice to disappear. It is physically impossible for that to happen unless it actually warms – during the uh, during the Arctic summers, which it's not doing, it may not increase as much during the winter, but it's not going to it's not going to go to zero, and has actually been leveling off and coming back up uh, over the last decades. So water vapor has increased about uh, it may be more 0.5 grams per kilogram. The age of geothermal spreading 
And it explains the current rise in the global temperature. And what that means is that when the global temperature is 57, 58 degrees, if you get an increase, let's say, of one gram per kilogram across the entire planet, uh, there's probably a three quarters to one degree temperature rise. If we move to the next graphic here, let me see if I have that up there. Oh, okay, this is what I wanted to, wanted to uh, show. The red line is the Arctic in the summer. The, the, the blue line is the Arctic in the winter. That is perfectly explains that it's water vapor. It, ha it can't be CO2. It has to be water vapor that's causing, and look where the warming's taking place. It's in the Arctic winter where it's brutally cold, right? So it, it, I tell people all the time, yeah, instead of freezing to death in 10 seconds, you'll freeze to death in 12 seconds now. Basically, that's, a, that's the difference. But it's blown out of proportion. And if people would kindly look at stuff, look, you know, I get into debates with people who say, well, it's my opinion. Well, if your opinion is not based on looking at everything, right? I mean, you're, you know, the apostle Paul said it best. Those who know what they know don't know what they ought to know. And there's a problem right there that you have a lot of people who know certain things because they only look at certain things. Hey, it's like this in everything. I mean, look, you got protests going on where people don't understand the history of the Middle East for, 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 for one. Uh, yeah, I mean, the COVID, the COVID fiasco, which most of us, if you, if you were, if you were a drug-free bodybuilder like I was, you, you understood immediately why you should not be putting something into your bloodstream. Especially so, because you know, once something, these guys that take steroids put needles, if, you know, they, they, I don't know how they do it, but they, I can't stand to see a needle. But once it's in your bloodstream, there's no turning back. And you're going to use an mRNA vaccine for that, something that, and what they, see, this is, this is what's crazy to me. What makes you think if something is going to mimic COVID, the responses in other parts of your body, are also going to be mimicked because what is what's a big thing about COVID? COVID attacks the respiratory system and the heart and all this other stuff. So what what do you think that mRNA vaccine is going to do? It's going to try to do the same. See, see, so and and you know, right from the right from the beginning, I was naturally allied with the skeptical doctors who got just slammed for that. But what what am I what am I saying here? I'm like, you know what. I, if someone asked me, well, if you were 70 years old with diabetes and 30 pounds overweight, would you get the shot? I think it would be logical to get the shot because you're at such a great risk with that kind of thing that the shot would probably lessen the risk. But if you're a perfectly healthy 22-year-old wrestler, right, <laughs> are you kidding me? Now the sword of Damocles is hanging over your head every time you walk out on the mat. In fact, I had one of our one of our guys at Penn State. Uh, the first year, we uh, everybody was back from COVID. Uh, uh, the, uh, he, he, I knew for a fact that he did not get vaccinated, and I'm not going to say who. He was, he was a national champion. He said, "Boy, it seemed to me like everybody else was getting tired real quick, right?" Which would go along with the uh, supply of oxygen in your blood. Uh, uh, there's two chapters in my book, and I wrote the book. The last book I wrote was April. 2020, I wrote this. This was COVID was first coming out. I said, this is going to be, be the warm-up for climate, which is exactly what you're seeing now. There's talk about controls with climate. Getting back to this, though, there's no Arctic warming in the summer. So what does that tell you? 
what, what, what does that tell you? If we know that water vapor, tiny amounts of water vapor, have a greater impact at very low temperatures, then it's got to be water vapor that's warming the Arctic. If the Arctic is your canary in the coal mine, if where's the extra water vapor coming from? It's coming from the warming of the oceans. How are the oceans warming? Well, what's the one thing that's swept under the rug? What's the one thing no one knows about? What's the one thing that makes me a completely fringe knucklehead meteorologist? It's what you aren't looking at, you don't want to look at, and if you did look at it, it would question your dogma and actually your religion because that's what this has turned into. It's turned into a darn religion. And anything that gets in the way of God is just something that, uh, like I said before, folks, you don't believe in God. Hey, that's fine with me, but don't make climate your God. What, what is, a, or John Kerry or Al Gore, for goodness sakes, those guys, those guys would never debate someone because they'd be lost in two seconds. Let's move to the next one. I know this is Tom's podcast, but I come over, take over. The skin temperature, these are the sea surface temperatures, the skin temperature of the earth. <laughs> Again, it debunks CO2. You notice all the warming uh, that's going on in the oceans, and you notice all the warming. This is uh, the last 10 years, which is quite a bit different from what we saw in those graphics back in 1981 to 1990, right? So it's warmed up considerably. And, of course, it'll be warming up more in the Arctic. Remember, the Arctic's an ocean. People don't realize it. it's not like Antarctica. Antarctica is a continent. So different physical reactions to what's going on. Now, <laughs> this is Dr. Roy. I don't even know if Dr. Roy Spencer approves of me doing this to his graphic. But if you did not look at the El Ninos and uh, in the, uh, you would say, well, there's a steady state rise in temperatures from 1979 to 2015-16. But that's not what's really going on. What's going on is when El Ninos go off, there is a step-up function. And you can see plainly the step-up function. This is over the, off the last 30 years. Now, <laughs> if, we got a, if we got this chart and we used it to 1979 uh, to 2000 normals, it would be warmer, all right? So, you know, and that, that's a problem on our side of the issue. Uh, we, we keep trying to portray this as, look, well, it's not doing anything. Yes, it is. It's moving up. But there's a reason it's moving up. Every time you get a buildup, extra buildup of heat in the ocean, that has to come out somehow or the other. The super ninos go off. All the water vapor goes up in the air. And then what do you think is going to happen? So you see the step-up functions. Another one going on now, and is the reason you had record warmth is not only you have a pretty strong El Nino now, but you also have the input of a tremendous amount of water vapor from an underwater volcano shock, underwater volcano that went off two years ago, uh, you know, a year and a half ago. So what do you think is going to happen, right? <clears throat> the fact is, nature has led to this peak. The cumulative buildup, the increase in heat, is from it can be explained with nature. The CO2 is a beautiful theory, folks. I understand the back radiation, <clears throat> but I can't understand why someone says, well, the oceans are warming like crazy. Well, CO2 back radiation only uh, penetrates the top millimeter of the ocean. How's the entire ocean warming because of that? Where's the input really coming from? <clears throat> the fact is that that input began, and that's what we... That's what we see uh, getting the uh, 
the warming to go off, and then there's got to be a reaction to the atmosphere. It's La Chatière's. It's con it's basic science, and because it's likely easy science, that would really be a problem to people who are relying on very very complex ideas. To you know, if you thirty years you've been you've been doing this. I mean, it's hard enough for me to me to uh, change a forecast and you know from eight ten days out but if, well, if you're 30 years and all you've been doing is preaching this how are you going to turn around and say well no i'm wrong oh my it'd be it'd be impossible to do and uh especially if um you're uh calling uh you've got to divorce yourself from what your heavenly father has uh decided to call you to do. Suppose that your calling is to come up with the right answer, but you uh, become seduced by all the fame and the fortune and being able to make just atrocious political comments that basically, like you see Dr. Mann now, he's, just, you know, he left Penn State, he's off the deep end. I mean, he's absolutely, I, I mean, I, I'm like, are you kidding me? Basically, I, I've eaten dinner a couple of times with Dr. Mann and I, I always enjoyed his company. We never got into involved in this. We just discussed our common love for weather. But I think, uh, you know, I don't use weather to try to make me uh, more popular. I, I use weather to try to get me closer to God. If I happen to get more popular, if it's a fruit of my labor or, or people pay attention to me, hey, that's great, you know. But the, there are guys in the climate that I, and there's some guys on our side of the issue the climate fight went away what would they do if the climate fight went away i'm still I'm, every morning i get up it's christmas i unwrap the gift the gift is the weather right so it doesn't matter to me and i keep trying to tell that to people i have no dog in the fight probably economically speaking it benefits my company if i just say well i'm wrong yeah global warming is occurring because of man right because it, you know we it, it's gotten bad over the past several years where people are saying, um, well, uh, you know, uh, our stockbrokers or our <coughs> shareholders don't want a climate denier, you know, giving us a forecast. I mean, this is ridiculous. I don't care. I don't care if it's snapping your fingers and eating Cheetos that's causing this or giving you the answer. If you have the right answer and I can benefit you, what do you care? If President Biden called me tomorrow and said, listen, I need help with a weather forecast, I'd be right there, right at, right at, you know, I serve my president, right? I may disagree with him about every single thing and let him know about that, but in what he called me to do, I would do it because I'm old school like that. You, you've got a completely different situation now where uh, my my stance on man-made climate change, it was like when someone calls me a denier, that you know, that should raise red flags right off the bat, Could be, especially someone like me who, has studied these cycles so much and realizes that climate change is actually redundant because climate is always going to change over a period of time. And, and so you have to try to stay up with that. And we're blessed that uh, this warming that's taking place is giving us a chance to uh, see things more clearly. Uh, at least it's giving me a chance to see things more clearly. We're already out uh, with a hurricane forecast for next year. One out December 7th, the hurricane season from hell is coming next year. I think it's 05, 17, and 20 all rolled in together. Now, why do I say that? Because you're, this, these El Ninos be, excuse me, 
because of the warming of the atmosphere and the way it's warming, the atmospheric base state is changed to what we call La Nina base state. In other words, it's warmer away from uh, the equator. So if it's warmer, let's say over Asia, the Western Pacific, it's going to create stronger easterlies in the Pacific. And I get a kick out of these, go, oh, look, it's cooling off South America. No joke. That's a sign that the global wind oscillation is leading to that because there's going to be upwelling. <clears throat> and the uh, Antarctic current is going to get involved. So what happens is that La Nina base state that we see, it means that El Ninos, no matter how strong they get, they're going to go. They're going to turn around. You see the models. By next year, we're in the La Nina. Meanwhile, the Atlantic stays warm in the Genesis region. It cools in the north. See, when the Atlantic is warm in the north and in the south, it distorts, it distorts feedback enough to actually try to limit the amount of hurricanes. You might get more in the North Atlantic, but you don't get the ones that are going to be coming through the tropics. And uh, we're just switching around into a, in the kind of season next year, which could be, um, like I said, a hurricane season for hell. The very areas missed this year, you know, there's no activity to speak of uh, in the, in the uh, Caribbean. And I, I realized we had Idalia go up in the Eastern Gulf, but most of the tracks were well out at sea. This upcoming year is going to be opposite. They're going to be in at the United States, just like this winter is opposite last winter. We said that's over six months ago to watch out it would be warm through Christmas and flip around opposite of what happened last year because we had the, uh, you know, the big Arctic outbreak in December last year, which, by the way, my company called well in advance, all right? September 13th, we said there's going to be a major late-season hurricane for Florida. Nine days before, I uh, wrote on CFAC, attention, Governor DeSantis. At that time, <clears throat> at that time, there was, you know, just a little bit of cloudiness east of the Leeward Islands, but... You can see these patterns getting picked out here. CO2 is 0 0.0042 of the atmosphere. Man's input is 0.1. That may be liberal. Some people say it's 0.05. U.S. input is 0 0.01 of the total. Uh, so here, here's the solution. Given those figures, let's crash the economy and make sure no one can drive a car. That's, that's what you do. There's the atmosphere's energy. The arrow points at it right there. So if we move to the next one. Notice now, notice what's that? This is this La Nina base state. Notice that since the Super Nino of 97, you see how there's more blue than there's red. The El Ninos cannot, they come on strong. There's a 15, 16 Super Nino. And we're going to see that this was a pretty strong El Nino. It was about, uh, as far as the atmosphere, the way the atmosphere works. It's not a strong El Nino so far. It is in the, the, look, there's three ways to measure the El Nino. There's the Southern Oscillation Index, there's the Multivariate Enso Index, and there's the Oceanic Nino Index. And what climate, climate hysterics are jumping on is one of them, but it's the total picture that's very important. The Southern Oscillation Index is the longest running um, uh, measure of the El Nino that we have. And we're not even in an El Nino as far as the atmosphere is concerned uh, between Tahiti and Darwin, right? So <laughs> I've developed something called the Bastardi Nino Index, which takes into account all three of them. And looking at this, for, for instance, this is a mid-range Bastardi Nino Index compared to 2016 or 1997. Now, why is that important? Well, it's important in that we knew that that was going to happen so that winter 
would not just be warm the entire time as you, you get in some of these El Nino winters. Anyway, if we move on, you see that change in the base state. <laughs> and okay, now there are less clouds over the tropics opposite of their trapping hotspot theory. Look at the top, uh, the top figure there. Um, you can see the, uh, you can see in the central Pacific, the orange, and you see in the Atlantic uh, and uh, Caribbean there, uh, the yellow and the green. And that indicates less than, less than average against the 30-year mean of outgoing long-wave radiation. What, why would that be? Well, because there are more clouds. There were more clouds in 1951 to 1960. Look what's happened in the last 10 years. The blue indicates more outgoing long-wave radiation, which means there's more sun, right? And guess where it's, guess where it's warming up? Guess where more, more sun is occurring? Over tropical oceans. And you notice, you notice what's going on over Indonesia there, and you can see in Africa, that's that La Nina base state. Because what's happened is there are more clouds there because the easterlies <clears throat> are stronger in the Indian Ocean and they're stronger in the Pacific. So what are they doing? They're creating more cloudiness further west because the air has to pile up. So this is a big change. And Dr. Willie Soon and uh, the Connollys, uh, they actually turned me on to this inadvertently. I don't know if they, uh, you know, it's like, uh, it's like I don't know if they want to agree with me, but they told me a couple of years ago, I was in a meeting with them, and they said the Hadley cell has disappeared. What's the Hadley cell? Well, it's the, it's the, <clears throat> it's the circulation over the tropics, and the vertical velocity patterns over the tropics are no longer what they were. So now what happens, and this, this explains why these hurricane seasons go out of their minds every once in a while. What happens when you have two, three, four years in a row of more than the normal amount of sunshine uh, in the Atlantic uh, Atlantic uh, Basin there. Uh, what do you think is going to What do you think is going to happen to sea surface temperatures? You saw what just happened off Florida this year. You know why that occurred? That occurred because there's been a buildup, a cumulative buildup of energy due to increased incoming solar radiation in the Caribbean, and of course you had the Gulf the Gulf current come up, and you had a strong trough in the eastern part of the United States during June. That in turn cut the normal southeast trades in Florida led to more than normal westerly winds. So there's a buildup of heat, and these guys are, these guys are, you know, they had sea surface temperatures hitting 100 degrees, but there's a perfectly natural explanation for why that happened, and that had nothing to do with CO2. It has everything to do, and you, some of you guys, maybe some of the hurricane forecasts in Miami, I see them talk, all, oh, this is warm, water's so warm. Take a look at what's actually going on here, all right? If you have increased <clears throat> geothermal input with a thermal hailing circulation and increased solar over the, over the tropics, what do you think is going to happen? Anyway, okay, let's move on over here. So uh, the models can't handle this. Here's what they, here, first of all, they can't figure out what's going on with the cloudiness, especially over the tropics. Secondly, what happens is they, they, if they see it warm in the north and not as warm in the south, they say, "Wait a minute this 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 has got to this has got to be uh, washed out over here." So they wash it all out, make everything slightly warmer than normal, and then they feed back. And it's interesting that the only model that that really caught this was the Russian model, which uh, did not have 
CO2 forcing in it. And it, 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 you can see that one model down there. So the, uh, the feedback, the feedback and the extra CO2 put into the models is causing the models to go haywire. Now, someone would say, well, it has warmed, Joe. Yeah, you're right. But if I tell you there's going to be a foot and a half of snow in Minneapolis and only two inches fall, I could say, yeah, it snowed, but it didn't snow a foot and a half now, did it? The, the, the climate models were predicting basically, you know, runaway warming, and they're completely wrong. This is, this is well within the range of adaptation. So I'm sitting here looking at this going, how do people, and I, I, was, a, I was a member of the uh, Climate Action Committee of Pennsylvania for one meeting. I walked out of it. I, I said, I, I, I told the senator to appoint me. I, I can't sit in here. These people, don't, well, you know, when, the, when uh, Biden's uh, infl Inflation uh, Reduction Act came out, basically that was the new Green Deal. So they were looking for ways to tap into that. And it was amazing listening to the ignorance that I heard in it. Like I told him, I asked him, how many trees are there in Pennsylvania? No one knew. So let me get this straight. You are sitting here trying to fight climate change. You know how many trees there are in Pennsylvania. So there's 5 billion trees in Pennsylvania. They get rid of uh, a total of 250 billion pounds of carbon dioxide. Do you know Pennsylvania, it's 2022 energy-driven emissions of carbon dioxide were less than 60% uh, of that. So basically, the trees we have in Pennsylvania were already getting rid of the carbon dioxide from the energy sector. Why do you want to shut down the energy sector? Uh, that's not the mandate of this committee. It's, it's, a, it's amazing listening to them. And, and then you had one person come on, and, talk, and she's, she's given this presentation, and she's saying we're basing all this on climate models. So I said, which model? No answer. Do you know what the climate models say? No answer. And, you know, and the, the rest, oh, let's just move on. Let's just move on. We, uh, let me tell you something. The inmates are running this asylum over here. And I, I, told, I, I told the senator, I, I sent him a nice letter, and I said, here's my recommendation. Disband this committee. It's a waste of taxpayer money. That's what I said. <laughs> Stop with the whole fighting climate change, adapt to what's going on, all right? If you want to build the city of Harrisburg on a floodplain, every 40 or 50 years it's going underwater. That's all that's to it. So build better levees, right? Or whatever town uh, you might be talking about. Uh, we're seeing more of this climate disaster and all this is raining harder. Well, it's also drier in some places too. So what happens is I would love to be able to put out a forecast with no matter what answer, I give, I, I, I get credit for it. That's their game, and they get away with it. Let's see what's going on with the next graphic. Uh, this was, it, it has warmed since then, but uh, with the global weather stations, this is the actual weather stations across the planet. Uh, back in, um, when was this, in September, were only 0.17 above normal. So over 75,000 weather stations, where human beings live uh, was only 0.17 above normal during the hottest time of the year because most of most people live in the northern hemisphere. So <laughs> I hear the story, climate migrants, how the heck can they detect that the summer is 0.17 Fahrenheit warmer? You can't. Over cross generations, are you, 
This, this is nonsense. It's gibberish. It's uh, being put out by uh, agenda-driven uh, people who, uh, and they are what they call watermelons, green on the outside, red on the inside. I'm sorry. That's where we are. Uh, let's go to the next one. Here's where the weather stations are. Convenient is that the Soviet Union has lost all their weather stations, so we don't know what's going on there. But in other words, where 95% of the human beings live, the planetary increase in temperature is less than a half degree Fahrenheit. You can't detect that. You're better off because of that. Cold kills more than heat. You get people like Hillary Clinton, you out of clear blue sky. Oh, yeah, we have um, uh, half billion people have died from climate change. What, in what world are these people allowed to say that and get away with it? There's nothing, or John Kerry, even a half million people. What, what are you talking about? All right. Yeah, I know they point, oh, well, they're, they're riding around their planes. That's not the big issue. I don't care if they ride around. If, if you don't believe CO2 is a problem, you should not care about them riding around their airplanes, even though they get stuck in Munich because they didn't understand what was going to happen there. We did. We have a de-icing company in Europe, and we have them warned about what's going to happen in Europe in January. There are Europeans looking at this. It'll be, you're going to see what's going to happen. <laughs> Probably the epicenter will be Germany again. But I'm saying I don't care if they ride around their planes and spew CO2 in the atmosphere. I care about the CO2 is not garbage. What comes out of their mouth is garbage. It is easily, it is easily in any kind of uh, rational debate. And that's the other thing, folks. I, I, where did it, where has this, where has the world turned where, I mean, you like watching football games, like watching basketball games, this competition, right? How is it that we're not allowed to debate? You may have a presidential candidate this year that will refuse to debate. You have John Kerry, Al Gore, they refuse to debate. Yeah, I mean, in what, in what sane world does an 18-year-old young lady with depression suddenly become the lightning rod for an entire global movement? I mean... It, it, and and the idea that you uh, people don't stop and think about these things and get out there. Uh, by the way, I have a I have a joke for you. This this twenty two year old kid walks into a psychiatrist's office. He's a doctor. I am so afraid of climate change. <clears throat> I have anxiety every night. I don't know what's going to happen in a hundred years. What should I do? And the doctor says, "Well, have you tried gluing yourself to the road?" <laughs> Like, yeah, well, what are you what are you people doing? You're living in the best time in global history. It, life on planet Earth has never been better. That's not to say we don't have problems. In fact, you know about the problems because life is so good that we've been able to see all these things. And we certainly should correct problems. But which is which is a bigger problem? Homeless people, people starving, uh, Six-year-old kids mining cobalt in Nigeria. That's a far bigger problem than an, a problem of gradual warming that can be adapted to. I mean, and this is the kind of lunatic fringe stuff that is going on today, all right? Whether, even if CO2, you, even if you believe CO2 is a driver, it's very easy to get rid of it. 
build nuclear power plants. The fact that they don't do that should immediately expose them. Plant trees, all right? You plant more trees globally, and with the world greening, it's trying to offset that. And the third thing is, and there's a company in Florida that's had point of uh, point of uh, combustion carbon capture. Never mind letting it out in an expensive process. And uh, you know the reason why I want the whole CO two. I got in a fight with Greg Wrightstone because he, uh, Greg is a great guy, but he's like, you don't give them an inch and all this. I said, Greg, the fact is you can embarrass them. If you got the emissions to zero and it costs the planet less than a trillion dollars to do it, as opposed to the $350 trillion it would cost the United States by uh, 2050, that's what the budget says would go on. That's, that's what you're looking at, right? You can embarrass them. Plus, when CO2 emissions are net zero, it will prove I am right about it being water vapor because it's not going to make a darn bit of difference. CO2 should never go to net zero because, as Will Happer says, we're in a CO2 drought right now. And maybe maybe the advancement of man is helping to balance out uh, that CO2. Where did it ever say that men are supposed to just stop reaching for tomorrow? It, anybody, when, when did that come uh, come into play? But that's basically what you're hearing. These people are anti-progress, anti-human, and anti-God in their stance. They may not. They may think they're the opposite, but there are a lot of times. I mean, I could tell you because I bodybuild. I'm Mr. Olympia. I'm not Mr. Olympia. All right. <laughs> I'm just like God. It used to be the joke of the gym. Hey, you look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's got two arms, and so do you. Right. <laughs> It's not the same thing. Uh, let's let's go on here. <clears throat> There's a thermohaline circulation. It explains why the northern oceans are warming up. All right? Where do you think that warm water is going? And, and why does it get, this is the Atlantic version, does the same thing in the Pacific. Why do you think it does that? Because where's the, where's the circulation going to go? Because of the shape of the continents, it's going to try to come north. It does it in the Pacific. I mean, there's a there's a basin for it to do it. So that uh, let's move on to the next one here. So it naturally pushes warmer water into the northern oceans. That's what happens. And if there's more sunshine in the tropics because of the I see it's feeding back. It's feeding back on itself. It will do so until an equilibrium is reached. But there's nothing, there's nothing you could do. But I don't care how many EVs you put on the road, that's not going to stop what's going on, right? That's the biggest thing. If you get into a discussion with these global warming people, ask them, well, how much is this going to save? How, how much, can you tell me what kind of temperature rise? And if they say, well, the temperature will fall half degree. Okay, well, then you want to starve a billion people because our agriculture is a little bit warmer, has been better for the greening of the planet, along with more CO2 which of course makes our planet more, uh, makes the uh, plants more resistant to drought and extreme. Obviously, if you, if you give someone, if you give something extra food, it actually makes them stronger, all right? If, if it balanced in nature. Now, if it's just eating nothing but pizza pie, that's a different thing. CO2 is not the pizza pie of diet, okay? <laughs> anyway, if we move on, and there's the increase in the geothermal input. The question is, uh, I know that says input, but it's input. Um, <laughs> the T <tea> is silent. <laughs> the question is, 
will we reach an equilibrium? And what happens if this reverses? Because the warmer it gets, the harder it is to get warmer and the harder it is to stay warm. So there's kind of, yeah, I expect a pretty big drop off in the global temperature coming up over the next couple of years, not down below what it was before because we had the El Nino go off, but certainly off this peak because this peak is easy. It was easy to see coming. I wrote about it as soon as that volcano ran over a year and a half ago. I wrote it. Oh, here it comes. Right. And just like next hurricane season, if you right wing people uh, running for office, don't get in front of this so that you understand and can explain and, and actually embarrass your opponent when they start yapping about hurricanes being a sign of climate change. You you just you you got to get proactive, not reactive. So anyway, uh, what's the next one here? Let's see. Oh, good conclusions. I don't know what the heck is going on here. I woke up my. I don't understand where this cold came from. I, I, it's like it's like the weather. I have to make sure I try to figure out where something came from. So you have geothermal input. You have increased solar over the tropics. You have a linkage to a step-up process in the actual temperatures. The Arctic proves it's water vapor. You have the natural reason backed up by Le Chatier's principle as to why that happens. And you have the MEI, which is showing you multivariate ENSO index. That's that chart I showed you which is showing you the attempt to reset the equilibrium. I think there's another page here, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so the current warm spike is uh, purely natural. Now, I, I, wrote, I wrote this back in the summer. So the La Nina reverses to El Nino, meaning another release of water. Actually, I wrote it last spring. That time, everybody's going, well, maybe there's not going to be El Nino, especially guys on our side of the issue. They know El Nino means a spike temperature, so you see them always try to fight it. I get into arguments with them all. Don't fight it. It's coming, right? La Nina reverses to El Nino, meaning another release of water vapor uh, from geothermal input. The volcano last year goes off, pumps decades worth of water vapor into the air from that source. So what happens to the temperature? It spikes. None of these is from man-made sources. The amount of water vapor increase explains the temperature. I hope that is at least something to think about because it's all there. Uh, very good stuff. Do you have time for a couple questions here? Sure, sure. Uh, I'm just curious. You showed that uh, the UAH temperature kind of steps up since 1979 with the El Ninos. Is there any sort of step down process, or what happens? Is water vapor going yes, to go that, back? Yeah, yeah. The, the the way. Yeah. So some of my friends. Oh, that's going to continue to heat. Well, first of all, um, uh, the, the warmer it gets, the harder it is to make it warmer. But secondly, as soon as that geothermal, it's a, it's a great experiment. Uh, Arthur, Dr. Vitorino, and I talk about it all the time. We're going to be proving right once the geothermal starts to decrease. So, uh, and that that is probably going to happen within the next five to ten years. So, if we see it, we see it start backing off. We'll know that uh, the uh, the the uh, live real time experiment. That's the thing we do. We we real time test things without uh, you know having peer review, right? So we'll see what happens. But uh, the geothermal levels, even if it levels off, it, there should be some kind of a reactive, uh, uh, you know, leveling off of the warming. All right. And then uh, getting back to your hurricane forecast, uh, do you think that we might see a hurricane season as bad as those ones in the 1950s yes. in the U.S.? We're already, I'm already forecasting it. So, you know, there's no, 
backing away, just like you know, back in the back in the spring, we outlined what kind of winter we thought we were going to have. It's a, that's something that I believe is a huge benefit to the warming. If you can if you can get the warming and line up, I I, I can't do it mathematically, but I can eyeball things and use my experience and go back and look at analogs. If I can line that up, I, I, I now have a trend forecast for nine months to 12, uh, uh, 12 months out. In fact, I think next winter may be a lot like the winter of 2010, 2011, which came after the <laughs> El Nino winter of 09, 10. So, um, yeah, I, yeah, I wanted to get out. I've never gotten out with a hurricane forecast that early, but I really believe that uh, this, and it also gives us a chance to establish a date when we said something so that when these people come along that weren't even looking at it and start claiming it's climate change, you say, well, how come I, I don't believe in climate, uh, man-made climate change. How come I saw it back there? So we have 25 to 30 storms. We have a lot of landfalls next year and uh, we'll see how that works out. Another question is about what do your clients really want from you when you do your forecasts and what do they do? Nail the forecast. Okay. Nail the forecast. Okay. So if everybody says it's warm and I'm saying it's going to be cold or you're my de-icing company, if I'm telling them it's going to be a bigger than normal winter in Europe, he buys fluid, uh, the ingredients in the middle of the summer. And, uh, you know, when the snow hits, his competitors are all trying to get, uh, uh, you know, higher price, higher price de-icing fluid. Therefore, he corners the market. Nail the forecast. But by nailing the forecast, people have to then wrestle with the idea, well, if this guy is such a whack job and out there in left field, how come he's seeing this stuff? And then that gives me a chance to uh, explain some of these things and also gives me a chance to answer the real question that I try to answer is, uh, yeah, I don't know if any of you are U2 fans, but... <laughs> There's a song they do called Streets with No Names. And uh, there's one version of it. I believe it's on the Elevation Tour in Boston, where uh, Bono, who I absolutely love, despite the fact I disagree with him on climate change, uh, he comes out and he goes, what can I give back to God for the blessings he's poured out on me? And that is the every day I go to work trying to answer that question. All right. I do believe that uh, I, I don't believe I'm the most talented person in the world with a combination of love, work ethic, and gratitude. Gratitude is so important. The chance that I have to work in something that I have loved longer than any living being. My mom and dad passed away a couple of years ago, so I have loved the weather longer than anything. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. My dear friend Joe DeLeo just lost his wife. And uh, he, I mean, he's just heartbroken. And I keep trying, you know, I, I don't know. I, my wrestling background makes me want to, you know, if you're sad, you get depressed. If you're mad, you rise back up again. And I said, I keep trying to say, Joe, you've loved the weather longer than anything. And you, you're left with the weather, which is your gift from God and your God. Your best days are ahead of you if you look at it that way. So I don't, I don't believe any of us are here that if we're focused on God above, I don't, I don't think you're here unless you have something that you're given to do and you better darn well go out and do it or otherwise you're going to wind up in a place where you don't want to be. I'm not talking about heaven or hell. I'm talking about inside, you know, there's always a, there's always something tugging on us and it's the weather that tugs on me. 
Okay, very good stuff. Uh, we're at the end of our hour here. Is there uh, other points, any other points you'd like to make before we wrap up? Well, we have that uh, podcast, The American Storm. Uh, you know, I've got the book out. And look, if you're, if you're into the weather, <laughs> you want to learn about the why before the what. You go to weatherbell.com. It costs 27, it costs about a dollar a day. But, we, uh, you know, I constantly am trying to show things no one else has shown. Weather maps from the past. You know, I'm not a modelologist. I use models, but I, I, the well, the consensus of the models, that's being a modelologist. I'm a meteorologist that uses models. That's grateful for them, but understand that in the end, it is, it is that human touch that gives you the advantage. A lot of this AI stuff in the weather, I watch that AI model every day. It's all over the place. They put out the big, uh, the graphics cast of Google. It can't see. It doesn't know. Well, maybe I should go look at uh, February 9th, 1969, because this pattern, might, it doesn't know that stuff. And because the atmosphere is in infinite and has stochastic events that cannot be anticipated, it can, it, you, you know, you can figure that, well, we got to watch for this, but I can't hit it exactly that day. Uh, you know, I, I, I think it's going to certainly improve forecasting. Uh, but uh, this idea that, okay, well, that's it. And what I, I, you know, I got to tell you, as some of you meteorologists out there, do you understand you're building the road, you're riding to your own death? By that, I mean, you're supporting all this stuff and it's going to make you obsolete. And there's no reason to do that. I could see if, if, if you're supposed to become obsolete. And my wrestling coach at Penn State used to say, a good coach makes himself obsolete, right? Because if you've taught your 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 uh, wrestler everything he needs to know, then you know you can he, he's self sufficient, which is fine. If it's the right thing to do, in this particular case, by just giving in without actually looking at things, you you're simply yo know, you guys all these meteorologists on TV. Why the heck? Why the heck do we need you? Right. We could just put it. Uh, we could just get an AI up there and that's that. Right. So, um, you know, I, 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 I'd hate to be a 28 year old meteorologist today. You know, I, I, I go, I wonder if I would have had the guts to stand up against this stuff the way I do now. It's like, I remember Bill Gray telling me, he goes, uh, I'm old now. I don't really care. Right. Now I'm, I'm sort of getting into that position. Right. The best thing I could do is be right. Be right for my clients uh, and understand that if I perform in the arena of my heavenly father and uh, I'm doing what I was made to do, that, uh, uh, you know, instead of uh, worried about my ego and people pat me on the back, if I can hear the applause from heaven above, I'm in good shape. Very good. So uh, let's go ahead and end on that note. But thank you for taking the time. This is really very interesting stuff. Thank you. Well, enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. God bless you. <laughs> Talk to you next time. Joe Bastardi. Goodbye. Bye-bye.